So we're getting ready to step into um, Second Peter again, and Jennifer and Ryan with some of the things that they said, I was like, oh, well, look at that. That so inco coincides with some of what that we're going to be talking about today. So I think you'll see a few of those things as we, as we move forward. But before we do, I um, want to pray. So um, went to Walgreens yesterday. I'm getting personal now and you know, doing the um, flu vaccine. And the lady's like, now you will not have any side effects. She lied through her teeth. So my body says you have the flu right now. And there's this passage in 2 um, Corinthians, and I love it. I'm going to rephrase it, though. It says, Jerry's version, indeed, in my body, I felt the effects of the flu shot. And then it goes on to say, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So I'm like, okay. I'm not going to church this morning is what I said at 4 a.m. Somebody else is preaching, but now I'm like, yep, Lord's going to do this. And I'm really excited about the passage. So let's pray. You all pray with me, if you don't mind. Let's pray for strength. Let's pray that our hearts would be open, our minds would be open and receptive, and, and that we would receive what he has. And at the end of the day, again, you walk out of here today seeing the word of God elevated and seeing the gospel bigger and Jesus bigger. No talk about redstone. No talk about anything else. It's got to be Jesus. It's got to be the gospel. So let's pray for that. Lord, I thank you for um, the glory of the cross. Lord, I thank you for the Ryan and Jennifer Vernons in the world and all of the other people that stood up this morning that are sacrificing their summers to, to pour into others for the gospel's sake. I thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that you just inject that discipleship, awareness, understanding, and drive in each one of us, that we would be reminded that that's what you've called us to do, to go make disciples. Lord, I pray this morning as we step into this passage that the words that are just ramblings or whatever, that they would just fall quickly to the ground and only what is of you would remain. But I do pray that it would remain and it would change us and I pray for supernatural um, strength this morning. I need your strength. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we are in 2 Peter. If you get your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 2 Peter. If you want to look at the passage, this is your worship guide. I'll always put it up on the screen when we have it. So we've been going through these, these four levels of 2 Peter. Uh, don't forget. So we spent a lot of time there. And, and really the whole thing is don't forget. Don't stop growing. We hit that really hard last week. And then today we're transitioning into... Uh, don't be deceived. And we're going to be in don't be deceived for quite a while. So last week it was heavy of don't stop growing. Okay. And we also talked about, remember that great paradox of his divine power has given you everything that you need for life and godliness, but make every effort to be increasing and growing in these areas. You know, so on one hand, it's the Lord, but on the other hand, you actually have to strive uh, for that as well. And he mentioned virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Okay. So in don't be deceived today, we're going to discuss the witness that each of us have of God's working in our lives. So witness is a key word. And then I want you also to, um, to just pay attention. That's actually what he's saying. Like pay attention to what the Lord has done in your life, because if you're paying attention, then you can actually be a true witness. With that said, let's jump into, you won't read that. That's just too small most, for most of you. But look in the word of God, look on your worship guide. This is 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. 
For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter's now leaning into the believers by establishing that what he is saying and what he has been saying, what he has shared, what they have learned thus far about Christ and his gospel, he's saying it's real. So he's setting the stage for don't be deceived, but he's beginning this don't be deceived section by giving his own personal apologetic or a defense of the faith. So look at verse 16 again. Let's just break it down. We'll go verse by verse. So he starts off and he says, we did not follow clearly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, but we were eyewitnesses, got those in reading, we were read, we, those, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. It wasn't, it wasn't devised with the word here, meaning contrived cleverly, made up, constructed for the purpose of making the listener wiser. And it wasn't a myth and the word meaning mere words, legends, tales, stories, and fables. So Peter starts off with this simple reminder that his teachings about Jesus and his gospel are real, okay? And, and Jesus did come and he came in power. So the question is, why would he do that? Why would Peter state the obvious to the church? I mean, doesn't that seem pretty obvious? Isn't that why the church was gathering? It's because as we're going to see in the next few weeks, teachers were coming into the church and twisting much of what had been taught. And they were teaching these lies. And they were taking some of what Peter had said and twisting it as though it was not true. Remember what the religious leaders said when they were going to bury Jesus, they said, set a guard over the tomb. Do you remember why? They said, otherwise, if something were to happen, his followers will come and say he's risen from the dead. Okay, but when Jesus did resurrect, you can read in Matthew 28 this. He, you know, the, 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 the religious leader said, tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And then a few verses later, it says this. So they took the money and did as they were directed. This last part. And this story has spread among the Jews to this day. So even there, there was this seed of doubt that was sown that has continued to spread and it has spread throughout the church. So what kind of other devised myths is Peter talking about? Probably the same kinds of myths and deceit that are in the church today, such as Jesus was just a good man. Jesus taught lots of great things, but the miracles weren't real. They were just allegorical. Jesus isn't really God. Jesus isn't actually returning. And some would say no. In fact, Jesus 
did not actually rise from the dead. These are the kinds of cleverly devised myths that can creep into the church. And what they do is they begin to put a, a crack or cracks in these foundational truths that support and hold up the Christian faith, that hold up the gospel. For example, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, if Christ has not been raised, because some people were saying, oh, he didn't actually raise from the dead. Paul says, if Christ has not been ra raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. So if you allow that to creep in, you don't have salvation. The gospel can't even be imputed to you if Christ has not risen from the dead. So the identity of Jesus being the Christ, the son of the living God, once fully dead and now fully alive, re resurrected, is paramount to everything else that the church is going to teach. So what's happening here is these cleverly devised myths that were creeping their way into the church and Peter wanted to put a stop to it. And he begins doing so with his own apologetic. Okay, so he begins in say, by saying in, effen, in essence, we know what we know. We know because we were, to quote him, we were eyewitnesses. I'm telling the truth. I saw it with my own eyes. John says something similar in John 19 regarding Christ's crucifixion. He says this, quote unquote, he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. I know what I know what I know. And I know what I saw. I'm telling the truth. And I'm telling you these things so that you may also believe. So just as John was establishing himself as a credible witness, there's that word I told you to watch. Peter is doing the same thing by saying, I was there. I walked with him. I saw the miracles. I heard the voice. So keep on looking. Look at verses 16 through 18. I'll focus on the red. For we did not follow clearly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses. And then look at the end of uh, 17 and going to 18. This is my beloved son is what he heard with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. I know this sounds like so foundational and elementary, but he's saying, I know what I'm talking about. I was on the mountain with Jesus. With my own ears, I heard the voice of God the Father coming down from heaven. Think about that for a moment. I was an eyewitness, as were James and as were John, which is why he could say, we ourselves heard this voice. We heard the voice of God from heaven. Now, as I was thinking about this and you know, kind of praying through the passage, I was reminded of this encounter that I had with this crazy thing early in my life. So here's the question. I asked the, the people before church this morning when we were praying worship team and everyone else that was a part of the service this morning. So I want to ask you all the same question. How many of you all have ever seen the Brown Mountain Lights? One, two, three, four, five, six, five or six. Okay. Second question. How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? That's crazy. Okay, so homework for everyone here. Make a note, go home, just Google Brown Mountain Lights. It's less than an hour from here. And when I was a kid, my dad grew up in the Newland area, in the Linville area. 
And I just remember like he kept, he would go on and on and we would go to like the Limble Falls or uh, Jonas Ridge or somewhere. And we would look at the Brown Mountain and he said on these random nights, there's these lights that'll show up all across the mountain. He says, it's majestic. He says, sometimes there's like thousands, sometimes there's hundreds. He said, but it's majestic. So I heard this story. There's actually a record. He actually has it at home, like a little 78 or something, you know, record or 45, I guess it's a 45, about the Brown Mountain Lights. There's actually a book about the Brown Mountain Lights. There's been all of these scientific, you know, whatever, explorations trying to find out the purpose for the Brown Mountain Lights. So I had heard this story my whole life. I had probably been, I don't know, 15 to 18 times and we would show up, we would go eat dinner, we would go and we would sit and the sun would go down and everything would just go black. I said, well, one of these days it's going to happen and you're going to be so excited. And I honestly thought my dad was just, you know, something had happened and he had an experience of some sort, but I, did, I just didn't believe it. So fast forward, Cammie and I are dating. We've been dating for a while and my mom and dad were like, oh, we want to go over and look at the Brown Mountain Lights. And I was like, yes, Cammie, they want to show us the Brown Mountain Lights. So we go there and we get on the side of the mountain and we look out. And you can only imagine, for someone who had been there like 15 to 18 times, I was like, oh my gosh, look at this. And my mom and dad, I, mean, I think my mom was like crying. She said, this is the most beautiful I've ever seen them. This is crazy. Thousands of lights, thousands. There was a mountain range and there were just thousands and they were blinking. Some of them looked like they were even moving and it was just majestic. Okay, so that's what happened. And in the middle of that, Cammie says, here's the quote. She says, I'm not stupid. I know you all are pulling my leg. <laughs> and we were like, what? You know, we were trying to explain. We were like, why would you say that? And she says, I'm not stupid. I know that that's a city over there. Now that was her response. So we had to go back the next night, same location, and there was nothing, right? So she's a believer now, right? But she wasn't. She and I still dating before we got married. We went back six months later and we went up there and they were out again. So those are the only two times I figured that was like, this is the girl you're supposed to marry. There was a sign from heaven so don't tell me that the Brown Mountain Lights don't exist. And don't tell Cammie that. Don't tell me that it's a, a cleverly devised myth or a made up legend. I was there, I saw them, and I have witnesses. Being an eyewitness to something, it's powerful to keep people from making up stories. Scripture says that a matter will be settled by the testimony of two or three. And I was like, why three? Well, sometimes I could see like a husband and wife agreeing and like, well, we need one more witness because you guys are kind of one body, you know? So, but that's confirmation that something actually took place. And Peter is saying, in essence, I saw the brown mountain lights. I am a faithful witness. And before going deep into the, deeper into the passage, let's just stop for a minute and talk about this call that we have to be a witness for Christ. What does it mean and what doesn't it mean? In short, you cannot witness to something, you know where I'm going with this, you cannot witness to something that you haven't actually seen, heard, or experienced yourself. For if you do, you can be called a false witness, right? A false witness. 
Okay, so here's a question. This is a kind of a devotional application for us thinking about what Peter saw here. In what ways are you personally able to witness, truly witness his workings in your life? Do you witness of him to others regularly? Do I? Do you have a personal testimony of God revealing himself to you, changing your heart, saving you from your sins, where your behavior changed, your direction, trajectory, it changed, and you were going this direction, and you thought this way, and now you're going this way, and you're thinking differently. We often refer to like these moments in our lives as we call them fence posts. Like we have like these, these major fence posts. And we, we did this in some of the community group training last year. If you'll remember, if you were a part of that, do you even know your own fence posts? Do you know these moments where there were very specific ways that the Lord was revealing himself to you? And the question is, if you do have those, do you even know them? How often do you share them with people? How often do you witness to what God has done in your life. Okay, now understand, as we'll see in our next verse, the primary way that the Lord speaks to us is through his word. And that word and the truths found therein have the power to change lives, for it contains the power of God unto salvation. But the question at hand is, are you a witness? Can you witness to what he has done in your life? Are you a credible witness or maybe an even more powerful question would be, can, hear me on this one, can or would your family members, your friends, your coworkers, neighbors attest to this monumental change in your life? If not, it's just words. And it will do nothing to draw people to him which is what so much of first Peter was about. Go back. Remember, if you were here, everything we talked about in first Peter, it must impact the way you live, your decisions, your reactions. Every relationship that you have on this earth has to be impacted by the gospel in supernatural ways because these people are watching true saving faith always, always changes our behavior. Can other people witness to that in you and in me? Just in case we haven't noticed, we live in an age of skepticism. And if our actions and our words don't line up with this gospel message that Jesus came, that he died, he rose again. He gives us the power to live a godly and a holy life. These fruits of the spirit can actually be evident in our lives. If those monumental changes aren't seen by others, you know what their conclusion will be? It's a cleverly devised myth, but it's not real. Do you feel this? Do you feel the weight of that? As I was studying and preparing and just thinking about my own witness, would people look at my life and say, Mm, yeah, if I'm just looking at his life or if I'm just looking at her life and coming to a conclusion about Christianity, they would say, it's real. I see it. Or would they say, no, it's just a cleverly devised myth. So question number one, this is in your worship guide if you like to fill in the blanks. So question number one for today. Ah, there's the Brown Mountain Lights. Sorry, I forgot. So uh, 
It's not the greatest picture, but there it is. There's the Brown Mountain Lights. I know it looks like a city, doesn't it? Is that crazy? That's a real picture of the Brown Mountain Lights. That's not like something that was fictional that I, I borrowed from the internet. There's the Brown Mountain Lights. And if you go on another night, it's nothing. You can't see anything. Okay, so you got to Google that later. So here's, here's the question. Question number one, does my daily life witness to Christ saving, having saved me and residing within me? Can they tell that I have met Jesus? Can they tell that I know him? Can they see the evidences that he lives within me? His divine power living within me. Now, we're going to pivot to the word of God. And before we do so, I want to say this. I, I personally have had two what I would call supernatural dealings or encounters with the Lord in my life. Uh, the first is part of my testimony. You've heard, some of you heard me talk about it. It was 4 a.m. in the morning. It was a supernatural encounter with God where I came face to face with the fact that I was broken and unholy, standing before a holy God and all my friends that were drinking were like, what's going on with him? And I called my pastor at four o'clock in the morning and that was when I came to faith in Christ. But it was supernatural. It was, it was a, a random night where God showed up. And of course, I'll never forget that. I can witness to that. And then another one happened in my mid-20s. And it was a part of my, my, I think my calling to pastor. And it was a supernatural, just anointing by the Holy Spirit. I don't need to go into the details because that's not the point this morning. But I've told that story to some people. And in a few occasions, it's made them really uncomfortable. Stories of supernatural encounters with God will and can do that. But here's the thing. It doesn't change what happened. I'm not going to alter my story. I know it to be true. I met the Lord in a very personal way and no explanation can ever take away what you personally have seen, heard, or experienced. And that's what Peter is saying here as he begins to say, don't be deceived. He says, I was an eyewitness. I was there. I heard it with my own ears. So you would do well to pay attention to what I am saying and what I'm getting ready to say because I am a credible witness. But then he says something I think is quite astonishing as we continue in our passage. Look at verse number 19. He says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. It's as if Peter is saying, yes, I've seen him. I've heard the father who Peter refers to as the majestic glory. I just love that. I think it's just a great, uh, you know, phrase of who God is. I've seen and walked with the Lord. I've heard the father speak from heaven, but you know what? We now have an even more and even greater witness. And what is it? It says the prophetic word more fully confirmed. And at this point, we could just go back and listen to the sermon a couple of weeks ago where we talked about everything that he said in his first five verses. The foundation of it was the word of God. His divine power comes through these amazing promises. It's through the things that are written in scripture that we can even understand. 
Now, Peter is referring to the fact that all of the Holy Scriptures, they've been pointing to Messiah, that he would come. All of the Scriptures that did not make sense before, they are now making sense. They are more fully confirmed. They fill in the gaps tied to the existence of the, the law and the sacrifices and the words and prophecies of the major and the, the minor prophets. It was all about Jesus all along. Genesis was about Jesus. It started in chapter three, first actually started in one, one, but it was about Jesus. The Messiah would come. The more fully confirmed war, word. And at the time that he says this, I mean, we didn't even have first and second Peter. Right? It was years later before these became a part of the canon, which we're going to talk about in a moment as well. This is indeed the word of God and the story of his plan of redemption. And then what does he say next? To which you would do well to pay attention. You see that? I remember sitting in my junior chemistry class in high school. My mind was either on basketball, a girl, or what I was going to do after school that day. But I can promise you it was not on the periodic table. And Mr. Hinkle notices my mind wandering, And suddenly he's standing right beside of my desk. And he says, quote, unquote, Mr. Williams, you would do well to pay attention to what we're discussing right now. Yes, sir, Mr. Hinkle. That's what Peter's saying here. I saw the Lord, I heard the Lord, but we have the more fully confirmed word of God to which you would do well to pay attention. Why? Well, he gives two reasons. One, he says, because it shines as a lamp in a dark place. Light always overcomes darkness. I used to do that every once in a while at, at Providence in chapel, elementary chapel, where you just make everything blacked out. And then you have like a little bitty light and you, you, you bring in the teaching and you show how this little bitty light overcomes all of this darkness. And a lot of y'all have seen that illustration. That's what the word of God does. It illuminates. Okay. And then the second thing he says is until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. That's taking us back to this work of sanctification. You've heard us talk about sanctification, just the fact that, that we're saved, but we're being saved and he's working on us and he's growing us. He's conforming us into the image of his son. That's what we call sanctification. And that's when the, this morning star, it begins to rise in our hearts as he speaks back to us through his word. We pray to him, we go to his word, we go into his word and he speaks to us. And as we, we go there, we grow in our understanding of these truths of our sinful condition. And as we see our sinful condition, and then as we see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, the magnormity, I don't know what that word means, but that's what I wrote down. The magnormity of the cross is shown as it reveals through the gospel to borrow from an old hymn that some of us seasoned people will know. It shows God's grace, 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 God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. We see the gospel, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all of my sin. We see that it's more fully confirmed 
The morning star of God's grace just rises in our hearts. And I remember probably 15 years after coming to Christ, having this moment where I was in Romans 6 one night. And it was as though I got saved again, which isn't possible. And that's don't go thinking that I said that. I think you get saved one time. But the truths of Romans 6, they just jumped off the page. I saw my brokenness, but I saw the gospel is so much bigger. And all I could do that night was worship. I wrote out my thoughts and I sent them to my Bible teacher at Providence. And he was like, that was a lot. That was pretty intense. I'm like, oh, you weren't there. It was a moment with God, you know, but it's, that's what happens. The more the word of God is illuminated, we worship because we see how broken we really are. And we see how great the gospel truly is. But sometimes the written word doesn't seem to satisfy us for what we really desire is a more intimate encounter with God. There's nothing inherently wrong with that at all. I desire the same, but we need to be careful here. I'm reminded of Jesus's dialogue with Timothy, and you'll remember this as well. I'll pull it up here. This is John 20, 24 and 25. Now, Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of his nails of and place my finger into the marks of, his, uh, of the nails and place my hands into his side, I'll never believe. Of course, we know a little later, Jesus appears to Timothy, to which Timothy exclaims, my Lord and my God, which is, he was correct in saying, the acknowledgement that Jesus is truly resurrected and is indeed God. But listen to what Jesus says to this Timothy. He says, have you believed because you've seen me? He says, blessed, get this church, get this, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. I think that's what Peter's saying here. Yes, I am a credible witness. What I'm saying is true. I saw him, I walked with him, I heard the father call from heaven and speak of him. I saw him die, I saw him resurrected, but blessed are you who haven't seen him as I have, but who believe him now and follow him and love him and witness of him based upon what he has communicated to you through his word. The more fully confirmed prophetic word of God. I love the fact that I had a couple of supernatural encounters with the Lord, but I don't think that that's the norm. I don't think that's the thing that we should be fishing for. The norm is that he simply reveals himself to you and to me through his word and the preaching of the gospel message. And that should be enough. That should be enough. And that leads to the second question, which is also when you worship God, if you want to fill in the blanks. Question number two is this. Is Jesus, as revealed to me in Scripture, enough? Will I love and serve him wholly based upon the truths I find of him within his word? If it sounds like I'm elevating this more fully confirmed prophetic word, I am. 
We talk so much about why we need to be in the word of God and the enemy will do anything he can to keep you from being in the word of God and to keep you from praying. He just will. That's where your growth and my growth is going to take place. But this is what the Lord desires, a faith received and sustained based on the eternal truths given to us through his divine word. It's good to desire intimacy with the Lord in the same way that a deer pants for living water. To long for him, to long for his presence. But we should look for that kind of intimacy through his life-giving words and promises that are found in the more fully confirmed word of God. And then Peter closes out this section. This will be our last section for today. He closes out this section with this really powerful statement. Look at it, verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. No prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecies were ever produced by the will of man. Herein to me lies one of the greatest mysteries of God's dealings with man. The way that he has chosen us to use as his vessels for his own purposes. And in this particular case, how he selected men to speak and to write down his words, which produced the man written, but inspired, inerrant, breathed out Bible, the word of God, more fully confirmed. And another thing that's incredible to me, to me as I think about this, and I was like process, processing this, is how he used all of these different personalities to do it. Peter's saying, what you have came from all of these men, but they spoke as they were carried along by the word of God. But I think about Matthew, former Jewish tax collector, acquainted with the ways of the Jews and Jewish law, and God used him in his CPA-style meticulous attention to details to convey truth in Matthew, mainly from the perspective of the Jews. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved dearly, who tells these amazing stories of the love of God, story after story, and he wrote all of these down so that people would know this gospel and they would come to know Jesus. Luke, the doctor, whose precision with words, if you'll pay attention, was that of a surgeon or like that of a surgeon. James, who just cuts to the chase and gets to the point pretty quickly. Peter, who speaks always with such passion. Paul, who speaks as a professor of systematic theology, who is always on task, thankful for the grace given to him. And now he sees, I have a job to do and I'm going to do it. And then there's Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. David, the poet and the songwriter. And I can keep on. But you look at all of these men that God used them, their experiences, their personality, to bring to us the word of God. God uses each of these and many others and doesn't change their personalities and writing styles in the process. I'm just, I'm just amazed at that. He makes sure that what they wrote was the word of God. He, he just made sure of it. And now what we have Peter says, is a prophetic word more fully confirmed to which we would do well to pay attention. Remember, we're stepping into this next section where Peter's saying, do not be deceived. 
and he begins by declaring himself as a credible witness, but then he quickly, he quickly is pivoting to the word of God as the more credible witness. It surpasses what I saw. It surpasses what I heard. It surpasses my experiences. You have the word of God. You don't see this as the word of God, but that's what it is. These people spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. People are trying to deceive you, to deceive you. Don't let them. These individuals receive the word, carried along, and you have it now. Read it, receive it, and revere it. Question number three in our worship guide is just that. What we have received is indeed the word of God. So the question for each of us is, do I read it as such? When I wake up to do my community Bible reading in the morning or my daily devotion, when I open up the word of God, do I pray, oh God, help me to see here, understand your word, your word is holy? Or do I find myself just doing it as a checklist? Or do I read it at all? Do I read it as such? Do I receive it as such? And do I revere it as such? That's what Peter's leading us to. Now I'm going to say one more. It's going to be my last point, and then we're going to close. One more important thing regarding the Lord still speaking through others. And I want to be clear here with what I do and what I do not say. Um, I had to run this one through the elders to make sure that we were all on the same page. Okay, so the elders of Redstone Elizabethan believe and will teach that that which we call the canon of Scripture, it is complete. Every book within our Bible is inspired by God. These words were carried along by others to produce the Holy Bible that we have today. And we reject the notion that other apocryphal or other additional books should be included in this canon. Or writings from what some would call modern day prophets should also be in this canon or equal to scripture. And we very much reject the notion that the Pope or anyone else's words, I'm now banned from Rome and that's okay. We also reject the notion that the Pope or anyone else's words are in any way equal to scripture. No, no, and a thousand times no. We can direct you to some good resources. I'll mention a couple if you're like, I want to read more about that. First one I would recommend, this is one I had when I was in Bible college. It's a general introduction to the Bible by Norman Geisler. Thick book, really, really helpful. The other one is the Doctrine of the Word of God uh, by John Frame. There's others as well, but if you want to have those conversations, come to me. But, and here's where I want to be clear. So there's a second part to this. So pay attention we do believe that God still speaks in various ways to and through other people for particular reasons and in particular seasons. Not, please hear me, not the same as him directing Peter, Paul, Isaiah, or whomever to write down what you have been told for the purpose of con contributing to this canon of scripture, but they're still speakings nonetheless. And what I mean is this. We believe that this Holy Spirit that now resides within us, sometimes, Christians, think about your life, sometimes impresses words, individuals, or thoughts upon us, 
And sometimes we don't even realize it in the moment. We just think that we're thinking, but he impresses upon us a need to, to pray for an individual or to give financially to an individual. Sometimes it's to, to speak a specific word to them. The Lord uses us to carry out ministry to other people, but sometimes that's pretty specific. I'm going to give you two examples in my own life. One where I was a recipient and one where I was the conduit. Okay. The first one, when we were newly married and had a kid and I was trying to go to Bible college and we didn't have money and we prayed and we prayed and we discussed it and I needed money for tuition and I didn't have it. And I was like, I just think I'm supposed to go register. Where's the money going to come from? We don't even have money to get an ice cream right now. I'm like, I know I get it, but I just, I need to do this. So I went and registered and they told me the total and in books and they said, you've got like 10 days, you know, or whatever it was before the first day of class. So we went home and a couple of days later, and a lot of y'all experienced things like this, but we get a letter from a couple that we barely knew that did not know that I was trying to go to Bible college. And this is what they said. We know we barely know you all and have no idea what your need is, but we're just being obedient. The Lord made it clear to us that we were to give this to you. And it was what we needed for tuition. It was what we needed for books. And I think we got like 10 extra dollars. I think we went and got ice cream together, right? And I remember being a young believer what was that? What was that all about? This God who, who says, cast all your anxiety upon me because I care for you. Who's going to supply all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That all sounds so theoretical to me until that moment. And then in that moment, it felt real personal. Another where I was the conduit. I know if you were standing up here, you would share stories in your own life. I just, but I can't help but witness to what I've experienced. So this one's a little weird. But there was a night, I call it the Gene Battle story. So there was a, a night where I was awakened in the night and I was, it wasn't an audible, vo audible voice, so don't, don't misunderstand me on this. But somehow the name Gene Battle came to me to pray for Gene Battle. I'm like, okay. So I began to pray for Gene Battle. And I prayed and I prayed intensely. Fell asleep, was awakened again. Jean Battle, man, I prayed for her. And then I stepped into a meeting with Spencer Till, the pastor at Redstone Elizabeth, and like the next day, and I was like, man, what a night. I haven't slept. I've prayed all night. I said, do you know anybody named Jean Battle? He's like, no, I don't think so. I said, I don't either. I have no idea who she is. Fast forward three weeks at the end of the church, somebody comes up to me and says, oh, I need you to meet this lady. This is her first time here. Her name is Jean Battle. Well, you can imagine. I'm like, you know, what, what's this all about? So I'm like, what do I do? She's already going to, you know, cause I'm a little eccentric anyway and awkward's my middle name, but what do I do in this moment? And I'm like, Miss Jean, it's good to meet you. And I'm like, I'm going to share something with you. And I know you're probably going to think I'm crazy. And I began to share her, st this story and these tears began to come out of her eyes. And she was like, can you tell me when that was again? And I was like, yeah. And I was able to kind of pull up my calendar and I was like, it was this night. And she cried. She said, ah, oh, that makes perfect sense. The story doesn't matter. She had lost her husband. She was in deep depression that night. And the Lord pecked on my shoulder and told me to pray for her. All right, so I don't know how to explain those things. That's not the fully confirmed word of God. But there are these moments that the Lord still uses us. Okay, so we need to understand the difference. And hear, and hear me on this real clear, but be wary when someone comes up to you and says, I have a word 
from the Lord for you. Really? Are you sure about that? Or maybe these are just your own thoughts. In my case, when the Lord has done this, I didn't even know it until like maybe down the road and maybe I never did know it at all. But there's been many a times where I've been like, I heard from the Lord I, in my mind and in my heart. And then I ended up being dead wrong. You know, I was like, okay, I may I was wrong. Or someone comes up and says, I've really prayed about this. Therefore, I've got this thing to say to you. And they're encasing it in such a way, I've gone to the Father and he's spoken to me and therefore I'm gonna to come to you. My point is be careful. The canon is complete. This Lord, the Holy Spirit within us will guide us and direct us. He'll, he'll, he'll put people on our hearts and sometimes say, write $500 to, to Mitchell. He really needs it. Those things will happen and they're gonna happen. And don't everybody go writing $500 to Mitchell. He doesn't need it. He works for Dr. Pepper and they're making plenty of money, right? But, but there are these moments where the Lord will still use you. He still uses people. He may not call you to write the Bible, but the Lord will from time to time use you, your personality, your humor, your experiences, your wisdom to speak a word to someone for his own purposes. But more often than not, you won't even know about it. Or if you do, it'll be later. So be careful about presenting things in such a way to make it sound like we've heard a word from the Lord. Now, the truth is what I just shared is only partially tied to today's text, but I just thought it was important. So we need to move off of that and back to what Peter's saying. For the main truth that Peter is wanting us to see today is this. We have a more fully confirmed prophetic word and we would do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Longing for this morning star of Christ and his gospel to rise in our hearts. The word of God is the more fully confirmed witness. Peter walked with Jesus, heard the voice of God the Father, but Peter himself an eyewitness of the Lord and all of his glory is pointing us to the word of God. That's what we need to hear this morning. That's the beginning of this section that we're going to be walking through for a while. Don't be deceived. It all begins with going back to the word. We'll close by hearing what we heard at the beginning, which is the more fully confirmed word of God. Just listen to it. For we did not follow clearly, cleverly devised myths when we made to you known, known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. When he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing that first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Don't be deceived. Let's go back to the word. I'm not going to pass the mic today because I knew I was going to be long. There was just some things I felt needed to be said. 
Let's receive it. We're going to take communion. Let's just bow our heads, spend a few moments in prayer. We're, we're taking communion. Sam's going to lead us to be reminded of this glorious gospel that's revealed in the word of God. And then we're going to sing a song of worship and we'll be dismissed. But right now, just be still before the Lord.